You're tuned in to Fork Podcast. This week, we're sitting down with Rudy Leger, personal fitness coach and vegan bodybuilder, who after one of life's greatest challenges at an early age, went on to reinvent his health. Everything you can go through in life, somebody else has already gone through it, and more people are going to go through it in the future. Hi there, and welcome to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and today I am here with the man, Rudy Leger. He's a bodybuilder. He's an um, athletic therapy, personal trainer. But the most interesting thing that pops out at me, dude, is you are a vegan bodybuilder. We're going to get into that. But I'm not going to make this about veganism, okay, dude? I promise you. But you know, I can't have you on this show and not tackle a few of the myths and things about it. But Rudy, welcome to Ford Podcast, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> it is. Listen, we, we're going to actually get to know each other on this podcast because um, we've known each other for all about one month, I think, and we've seen each other maybe two or three times. You were introduced to me um, through a very close friend of mine, Rob Martinez, um, and uh, he said, listen, you got to meet this guy, Rudy. He really knows his stuff. He's super interesting and he had some goals of his own that he wanted to to hit and he said uh yeah i'm working with with rudy the man and he uh and you converted this guy dude you converted him to uh to the the ways of veganism <laughs> tell me a little bit about that relationship how that started up um so i met him through the gym through prestige and uh we just started talking i got introduced uh, to rob through a mutual friends and he would just constantly ask me questions about you know, certain things like how, um, how I go about doing, you know, like structuring my diet, uh, training, some of the, you know, the common misconceptions about the vegan diet and how I can still build muscle on it. So I would just talk to him and we just have normal casual conversations and he seemed to become more and more interested. And one day he, he, he told me, Hey, can you write me up a little meal plan, you know, some, uh, suggestions. And then he just, he went for it and he seemed to really like it. Yeah, you know, just in that one little sprint of talk, like I had like 15 questions popping out in my head. You know, even though this whole, even the whole new um, vegan movement, it's it's so new, but um, it's become super popular, man. And a lot of people are jumping in on it. I, I myself, over the last uh, year, I've been practicing more of a vegetarian diet. And uh, I got to say, it's done wonders for my health. I don't want to say it's the way because I know we're going to have listeners who have their way that works for them. So my attempts aren't here to try and tell anybody that this is the way of doing anything. But it's very interesting to hear how this this has come about. I'll tell you later on a little bit of my story that when I was like 21, I was a vegan. We didn't even have the term vegan Um but I'll tell you about that maybe in person or it might happen here. We'll see. But my questions are popping out. And once again, Rudy, I'm going to promise this isn't going to be a bodybuilding vegan podcast, but I know people want to hear things and you're a very bright guy and you got your stuff together. So uh, you just said before that um, you are uh, our mutual friend. Rob had some questions about training and building muscle and being on a more vegan type diet. Um You've actually competed on stage as a vegan. Yes. Uh, Not yes, competed to be a vegan, but competed as a bodybuilder <laughs> with vegan approach. Exactly. Yes, I have. Tell me a bit about that. Um, so, I mean, 
I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people would uh, speculate that that's a, a difficult thing to do, but it was quite easy. Um, I would say that I enjoyed the diet a lot more than the traditional uh, bodybuilding, like standard diet, which is, can be very limiting or restricting. Whereas I got a lot of uh, variety and different options, different food groups in my diet. And uh, it was just a really pleasant experience. I didn't suffer too hard. And uh, I overall really enjoyed it. Did you fare out well in your competition? How, how did that go? I know it was like the first time for you, actually. Yeah, it was uh, my very first competition. Um, I placed uh, second in my respective category and I qualified for nationals in Toronto next year. Dude, that's amazing. That was the first time you competed and you came in second place. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> in Toronto, so, and you're going to Toronto next year? Mm, depending on how things go with my coach, uh, we might take a year off and just put on some size. I have two years to cash that in. So I could compete as soon as like maybe a few months, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take about a year off and just put on some size. And, you know. All right. Who, who's your coach? Give him a shout out. That's so well, my coach, uh, Jess Santalone. Uh, Jesse, really, Jesse yeah. Jesse's name comes up a lot in this podcast, man. I'm still yet to have him sitting across from me at this table. Yeah, he'd be a good uh, next candidate for this podcast. He's really interesting. Yeah. So Jesse has, okay, so he's done your program for lifting, but did he also do your, your diet plan for? Um, so he didn't really make my uh, program or diet. He would just kind of guide me. He would shoot me my macronutrients, so my protein, carb, and fat intake. And then I would structure it um, the way I felt I should, you know, in terms of um, what I would like my diet to entail. Uh, but he was a really good mentor and guide. He's a very knowledgeable guy. And he really, I couldn't have done it without him. So he was really sort of my, my Sherpa on the, the journey to the bodybuilding stage. Sherpa, tell, <laughs> what is that? Tell us what that is. It's like a little, it's kind of like a guide, right? So he kind of mentored me and he's already competed himself. So I didn't really know what to expect or how to go about doing certain things. So he really um, put me on the right path and guided me for uh, what I needed to do and uh, structured my, my cardio and my, um, how many times a week I should train, stuff like that. And then he left the rest up to me. So he gave me a lot of um, free reign when it came to my diet and my, uh, my program. But he kind of gave me uh, uh, guidelines, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, we're definitely coming back to this topic. Don't you think for a second it's not coming back? But um, I just want to move to to something else that you shared with me because um, this whole um, change in your nutrition and fitness and health actually came out of a very difficult time for you. Yes, that's uh, that's true. <laughs> what what happened? So uh, about two years ago, when I was twenty five, um, I lost my mom to breast cancer, and uh, it kind of changed my perspective, my outlook on life. Uh, going through being in and out of the hospital system and, you know, um, relying on them for advice. I never really did my own research. I just kind of took everything at face value. And you come to realize that even though some people might have certain credentials, they might have vested interests in um, certain products or paradigms that aren't necessarily the best for human health. So I kind of did my own research. Um, it's not to say that, you know, veganism is for everyone. It's just the, the path that I was uh, drawn towards and um, I kind of tried implementing it into my life. I, I took a two-week challenge. I figured, hey, why not give it a shot? And uh, after the two weeks, I never looked back. I loved it. So Yeah. So was when your mom was in the hospital being treated for breast cancer, 
was it in that period when you were starting to try different things in nutrition? Were you doing this to help her? Um, originally, yeah, I, I really wanted to, um, to help alleviate some of the symptoms. She lost a lot of weight because of her chemotherapy and she wasn't doing so well. So I tried to, um, implement, um, certain products, supplements, food groups that could help, uh, put on size because she was quite emaciated and, uh, you know, it, it didn't really work out too well. And then afterwards I was, I was almost angry at myself. You know, I didn't really, um, I felt like I lacked the knowledge or the skills to really, uh, help out, you know, the, the woman that I, I loved, right. That gave birth to me. So I, I just was, there was a fire that kind of built inside of me and I, I just started doing my own research and uh, I got very methodical and meticulous with the, uh, the information I read and going to school helped with that because I had access to a lot of different websites and peer reviewed articles, doctoral studies, things like that. And, uh, I sort of just built a little, um, a little, let's say, um, database of information. And I, I tried to educate myself more and more it became sort of like an obsession or a passion. And, uh, yeah, now I'm, now I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually it, it's quite a, quite a journey from losing your mom. Cause as I understand your father wasn't present in your life. No, I, I, he was never really around growing up. Um, they, uh, they didn't have a great relationship. So he was out of the picture before I was even born and I didn't really have any uh, siblings, brothers or sisters, cousins lived in different parts of the world. I've never even met them. So it, our family was very, very limited. So, and small. So my mom was my world, right? And when she, uh, when she passed away, it was kind of, uh, it was, it was hard. It was a shock. So I kind of, um, affected the person I am to that today and it led me down a different path. But it seems like from, from losing your mom, you say it affected you, but it, it seems to, you know, it's really a shame how we learn, right? Quite often, our better selves emerge from the hardest times in our lives. And it, it, I don't, shouldn't say it's a shame. It just seems to be what is. I, I was reading the other day someone saying, you know, it's, it's much easier to learn from your successes. But I often feel like successes, nonetheless, are often the end result of even if they're micro traumas, you know, micro stumbles. They don't feel like, again, falling on your face or anything like that. But they are nonetheless, if once accumulated, they're, they're kind of failures in a way. They're kind of trips up when we get tripped up or we fall. And, and it, it's a thing. We learn from our darkest moments. And having been left alone after your mom had passed away, how do you kind of regain focus in what you wanted to do? Um, I mean... When something traumatic like that happens, you have a limited number of options, right? You have like fight, flight, or fright. So I, I chose the, the fight path and I just kind of try to look at it in a different kind of perspective, right? I mean, there's a time for, for mourning and for grievance, but once you get over that, or hopefully eventually you get over that, you kind of use it as um, fuel to the fire and try and just uh, bring yourself up as a person and, you know, raise your person and just learn from those experiences and um, use them to help other people in life, right? To help, because every, everybody, every, everything you can go through in life, somebody else has already gone through it and more people are going to go through it in the future. So if I could even help one person um, sort of better understand their situation, if, if it's similar to mine, then, you know, I'm already, I'm already winning. I'm happy, right? So I tried to take it as a positive and learn from it and, you know, just go from there. Yeah, well said. I, 
when you say that other people have gone through it, one of the things about doing forked podcast, I thought, how am I going to get uh, people to, I, I got to find people who've gone through struggles and are moving towards success. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not looking for people who have tremendous success right now. What I'm trying to do is share with other people that, hey, how old are you, Rudy? You're uh, right now. I'm 27. Okay, so I have this 27 year old man in front of me, and he's already gone through an abundance of of turmoil. And you know, man, you kept going. You kept forging forward. So I always wanted to. Um, I was always asking myself, okay, am I going to find people for my podcast and share these great, you know, these 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 stories that can inspire us? And it has not been difficult to find people be- with these stories because, man, even an 18-year-old, you put them, sit them down, it doesn't take somebody long to say, man, this is what happened to me. Like, people are full of stories and, and trauma and things that they get past. And I really want to share that stuff. And when you told me that your, your mom had passed from cancer, and then you went on to become a, a more fit, a more health conscious person. I'm like, there it is. There's the, that magic that when you go to a dark place, you can emerge better than what you went into it as. And um, what would you say your biggest struggle was after losing your mom? Like, uh, did you, had you started training at that point? Were you in? Were you involved in the gym and? Um, yeah, so I started, um, lifting weights when I was 14. Uh, I've been working as a personal trainer for at least somewhere around 10 years. I started at about the age of 19. Um, so I mean, that was always part of my life. Um, and I'd say the biggest struggle after losing her was, it wasn't even the initial shock. You're kind of just like, man, okay. And then month later, two months later, three months later, you realize, you know, she's not coming back. You walk through that door and there's nobody there waiting for you. So I just kind of, uh, had to absorb that, that, that shock and, um, find a way to move on. So I'd say maybe like three, four months afterwards was the, the hardest time psychologically, which translated to like a really tough time physically too, getting out of bed, just, just doing certain activities. So yeah, I'd say that, uh, that the whole, the whole period of like maybe two to uh, three to four months afterwards was probably the most challenging time in my life so far. Was she very influential in your life? Like, uh, um, what, what did she do for a living was, what was her job? So she actually worked for, um, a company that, um, she was a buyer, so she would buy parts for different, um, airplanes, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, she was very good at what she did. And, uh, she was, she was my mom and my dad. So she (laughs) did a really good job at being a parent too. Uh, she was a really good provider. Um, and she taught me a lot about the world and about life and um, how to be a good person. So I'm, uh, I like to look at it as I only had 25 years with her, but I had a damn good 25 years with her. She taught me a lot. So um, I'm, I'm very grateful for those, uh, those times I, I got to spend with her. So yeah, she was, uh, she was a pretty good person, I would say. What do you think would be one of the, just, just give me one. I, you know, what do you think would be the one greatest way she influenced you? What? What lesson do you think she gave? Um, so I would say, I mean, you just have to, uh, she taught me how to be strong and independent on her own uh, or on your own. I mean, she, uh, she raised me by herself. So she showed me that, I mean, regardless of your, your station in life, your situation, whether you have 
you know, you're in a relationship, you're single. It's, it's not really your, you define your own circumstances, right? So she made the best of the situation that she was put into. And um, I mean, I, I, I think I took some of that away and I, I tried to do the same thing when she, uh, she passed on. So I would say that. Yeah, that sounds like the lesson was well-learned. You said she made the best of her situation and circumstances that she was in, as did you in her passing. You, you took the situation and you, you, you flipped it into something that really brought greater strength and power to you. So um, amazing, man. Like, congratulations. I, I still, my mom is still alive. She's 85 years old and uh, she's very fit and she's influenced me. Moms are amazing, right? Like moms are crazy. Like oh, yeah. they're just like they're they could they could do. I, I as the father, like in my house, I my wife can do ten times more stuff than I can, and I get confused if I'm just chewing gum and walking at the same time. My wife's a multitasker and can get a lot of stuff done. So moms are uh, moms are amazing. Shout out to moms out there. <laughs> Dads too. Dads are amazing, but we're you know we got we got a lot more work to do. <laughs> so um. Now, uh, let's let's go back to um, my man, <laughs> the vegan bodybuilder. I told you it was coming back, and it's coming back because I know that um, I I know I don't know if you know, but you present your knowledge in a very good way. It's very accessible. I can understand you. Um, there's some people, I think it was Einstein who said, if you can't explain something complex in a simple way that other people understand it, you don't really understand what you, you're trying to explain. And um, I think people would really benefit um, from, from understanding a little bit more about how veganism um, plays into health and wellness and fitness we don't have to make any special claims we're not after that just what what things can people do because you said it's not hard but i find just even giving people a regular uh, a, a slightly restrictive nutrition plan where i'm like okay listen you know let's try and cut out the the bread and rice and pastas let's try and limit that to a couple of consumptions a week i try and i still see it a major struggle um my knee-jerk uh, sort of impression is that would veganism make eating even more difficult? What do you... Um, well, I would say it, it really opens up. So when I first started, it was pretty challenging because I, I did it from one day to the next. And uh, I, was, I was pretty much just eating bread all day. I didn't know what to eat. I was, okay, what am I doing with my life? But um, I mean, when you kind of look at it, there's like, I mean, there's there's an insane amount. I think there's something like 50,000 different... Uh, plant sources on, on the planet, probably even more. Whereas when you boil it down to what, you know, a standard American diet is, it's maybe like three or four different kinds of meats. So when you, uh, when you really open that, that door and you kind of experiment and you get to um, really, you know, figure out what, what tastes you like, what you don't, I mean, there's, there's beans, there's lentils, there's different types of breads, there's whole grains, there's legumes, there's fruits and vegetables. And when you just combine everything and sort of um, like, um, just expand your horizons, you really see that you're probably less limited uh, than you were before when you start incorporating all those food groups into your diet, right? Yeah, I um, personally, uh, the way I eat is, um, I don't, I'm not telling people to go do that, but I don't, I don't eat bread 
pasta, sugar, um, all none, none of that. And I'll tell you, man, people say, how do you live like that? It sounds so restrictive. Dude, my Sunday meal prep, I got like, I got like four pots of food going and, and like, I mean, really delicious food. And I see people who are eating from the whole rainbow, you know, everything that they want with no restriction and their food is far more restricted than mine because I think the moment you start to adhere to a specific nutrition plan, you have to start cooking. You have to start preparing. You need to say, hey, what's what's quinoa, you know, or hey, what's what's maca? Or you, you start asking questions to try. Like I discovered black soybeans. Dude, these things are awesome. Don't go out and buy them, guys, because you're going to sell them out in the stores and then I won't find them because they're really hard to get your hands on. These things are awesome, man. I never knew about black soybeans. And they're, they, they, listen, they changed my life. <laughs> so I've made all these discoveries by having a slightly more restricted plan. Yeah, yeah. That's normally how it, how it pans out. You're forced to kind of, uh, you know, experiment and try new things. And uh, that's generally how it happens, right? Yeah, Getting yeah. Getting out of your comfort zone. Do you think, um, I got my five questions about, <laughs> you're like, dude, I thought you said we weren't going to talk about veganism <laughs> so much and it just seems like I'm on it. But listen, I can't, I can't have a podcast with a vegan bodybuilder and not ask him a pile of questions about veganism and training. I'll try my best to answer them. <laughs> I trust you. And if I trust you, I trust you to bring information to the people who are listening. So anybody who's listening, you can take this guy's information to the bank. Now the stress is that's, that's your first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so listen, I'm going to ask you, well, let me ask you first. Do you, do you think that there's some myths about veganism and bodybuilding that you, you'd like to just talk about right off the bat? I mean, definitely, right? So um, I feel like a lot of people uh, kind of, we, I mean, as humans, we generally have the tendency to group people into different categories, right? Uh, tall, short, fat, skinny, whatever it is, male, female. And uh, it's not really about labeling yourself as a vegan. It's just about um, sort of, you know, trying something new, expanding your horizons, trying to live, um, a, change, your, change your habits, you know? Like, I mean, the first thing you generally do when you go vegan um, is cut out a lot of the processed foods, right? And that's good regardless of what diet you follow, whether you're on a, you know, a typical American diet or a ketogenic diet or a paleo diet or a vegan diet, like the first thing you want to do is cut out those processed, uh, you know, commercialized foods. And that's good for any diet, right? It doesn't have to just be vegan. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, I think that you just hit it, you know, like the, the, all the different diets that are out there. And I personally have no problem using the term diet, right? Lately, it's this thing, I'm not on a diet, it's a lifestyle. If you look at the definition of diet, it's like, it, you know, you're on a particular nutrition, you're not going to walk around and say, hey, this is my particular nutritional practice, or you're not going to say, this is my lifestyle way of eating. <laughs> It's like, it's your diet, man. Get over it. It's a term. It doesn't mean you're trying to get skinny. You're trying to get heavy. It's a diet. It's the way you're eating. And you just named so many diets and they do work. And there, many of them are super sustainable. People think, oh, it's not sustainable to eat that way. There's most of the diets that work 
I mean, apart from the ones that just drop weight rapidly um, and too restrictive, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about veganism, uh, a, a paleo style diet. Um, I'm not even going to say, the, you know, carnivore diet. <laughs> so they're eating only meat, man. Maybe when, maybe when the stuff is being 3D printed from a lab, okay, fine, go for it. But right now, that's just so environmentally destructive, man. That's why, personally, I'm I'm a vegetarian. I, um, it's it's ecological reasons. Now, if you thumb me about health, and I'm not going to get into that because then people get all argumentative. I don't want to argue, but we can all agree on the in the environmental effects of our of our our industrialized food processing, right? The way we we create food. So um, that's there's no argument there, and. Um, uh, so I find that um, the the way I eat is super sustainable, man. And uh, I believe veganism is very sustainable as are most diets. So now here's here's what I want to ask you, like um, protein. Now, now we know now the newer information's coming out that, hey, you want to live longer, you want to eat less protein, right? I, be, you know, for, for all the, all the reasons that are out there, we, we don't have to touch on that. Cause I think that'll just start going over people's head and we don't want to do that. But the general rule is to eat less protein for longevity. But as you get a little bit older, because your body doesn't metabolize protein as efficiently, you should up the protein a little bit as you get older. But now let's say some in your age group, around 27, uh, and you're maybe not a bodybuilder, but somebody who's just trying to put on a little bit, bit of muscle. What, what's kind of like the protein intake we're looking at for them? Um, okay, so I mean, you really want to consider um, all types of macronutrients when you're, and micronutrients when you're looking at a, a diet as, as a whole. Um, it's like trying to build a... Can you just explain rapidly macros and micros what does sure, that mean sure. so macronutrients would be your proteins carbs and fats and micros would be your vitamins minerals and water gotcha. so they they all play their own uh, essential role in human health um but i mean when you're it's like building a car you know you don't just put on the tires and then get in and floor it you have to put the gas the brakes the suspension they all play their uh, fundamental role in you know sustaining the the vehicle which is our body um so i would say for protein I, the the general recommended intake would be somewhere around 50 grams a day for just maintaining and the sustainability. Whereas generally people get a lot more than that. It's not to say it's bad to go above, but I mean, when's the last time you've seen someone with a protein deficiency, right? I mean, it doesn't generally happen. And you know, you, you're looking at, um, a very finite sort of uh, one-dimensional aspect of the diet. Whereas if you're going to eat enough food and you're going to combine a lot of sources together, different, uh, food sources, you're going to get enough protein, chances are. But as long as you're eating well-balanced and wholesome meals that are going to contribute to your overall health, that's how you'll get the best results out of your, your food plan, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Do, are you an advocate of eating many times? Not as a bodybuilder, forget it, man. Like, you guys just don't stop eating. But I'm talking more about everyday people. Are you an advocate of, uh, again, can we blanket it over everybody? No, but in general... Are you an advocate of three meals a day or five little meals all day? Or like what, what do you, uh, um, so my, um, 
my perspective on that is it, it really depends. Uh, I, I, I know people have gotten really good uh, results with intermittent fasting where they eat once a day or prolonged fasting where they go long periods of time without eating. There's also people like Luca who eats like who eat several meals a day, right? So I don't think there's only, like you said, it's not a blanket statement. I, I think it really depends on the quality. So if you're going to eat one meal a day of McDonald's or you're going to eat like five, 10 meals a day of like wholesome, good foods, I'd rather go with option B than option A, you know? So it, it really depends on how you structure it and what um, you're introducing into your body as opposed to um, how many times a day you eat. Yeah, and I guess the... the um the uh, the goal that the person's after, right? Whether it be weight loss, muscle gain, um, just general well being and general health, everybody's gonna have a, a different approach. I I like the one meal a day thing. It works for me. I like this whole idea of autophagy and just trying to clean out my system constantly. Um, but I would never recommend that because people say that's not sustainable, but then I got to go into, yeah, but on the weekends I might eat a couple more meals and I just don't want to, man. So I don't really talk about my nutritional practice, but that works really well for me and it's very sustainable and helps me to stay very lean. Um, so I guess for people listening, it really is important, especially with the abundance of trainers and find people you trust. I trust you, man. Uh -huh. I, I trust everybody who sat across from the table on this with me, you know? Luca was on here last time. We And then Matt. And, like, we have a lot of great professionals out there. And people should, you know, they always say, how much do you charge for an hour? And it's, I'm like, you know what, man? Just, like, reach into your pocket, spend a little bit of money with a good professional so they can at least guide you and tell you what you specifically might need. If you're a vegan, you know, this is what you might need to do. And, and I'm really an advocate of just reaching your pocket a couple of times and just hire a professional because it really is. Everybody is different. And when you think of the amount of money that people have spent on their nutrition, um, trying this, trying that, because they're, they're sort of trying to do it by themselves, they've spent far more money than it would cost them to sit down with a trainer and really just bash this out in the long term. They're going to save money by hiring somebody. Um, okay, so um, yes, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you. Omega-3s, okay, because you, know, you hear from, from plant sources, it's not highly bioavailable, and, you know, bioavailable guys meaning that your body doesn't uh, recognize it and, and sort of store it and use it efficiently. So um, there's this idea that omega-3s are an important fatty acid, and uh, we don't get it from a vegan diet. Can you can tell me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So omega-3s are definitely really um, essential to human health, right? To help with brain function, cognitive function, uh, skin, hair, nails, uh, hormonal production. The interesting thing is, and I don't think a lot of people would um, uh, know this, is that where did the fish get it from? So they get it from the algae. So it's originally produced within the algae and then small fish eat that, bigger fish eat them and it bioaccumulates up the food chain until it reaches something like salmon that we eat. Uh, and that's how we get it. It's already been converted into EPA and DHA, which are um, the forms of omega-3 that our body can uh, readily, readily use. Um, but we can get it through plant sources, no problem. You have flax, chia, hemp, um, walnuts, pistachios, pretty much any type of nut or seed. 
where you get the uh, ALA form, the precursor, and your body converts it into the um, the other two essential ones. So, I mean, it's it's pretty easy if you think about it. I mean, where are the animals getting it from? They're getting it from the plants. So we just do the same thing. Okay, so we're uh, people are good uh, um, omega threes. If you're again, but back to your argument that if people are eating wholesome and properly, even as a vegan, you're 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 getting it in your diet as long as you're. That will all be that list of foods with omega threes will be in the show notes, guys. So, um, so as long as they're doing that, they're good. I mean, another really important point to um, address would be omega sixes, which are pro-inflammatory. So, something that causes inflammation in the body. Uh, this is really essential for uh, certain things, like uh, if you get a cut to stop bleeding, or you know, things like that. But too much of it, I like to think of it as like a faucet. So, you want to have a nice balance between the two. You don't want to leave the faucet running, but you don't want to shut it off completely. And omega-3s are essential for um, quelling the inflammation process. But what's interesting is both of them, omega-3s and 6s, compete for the same enzyme. So a lot of people have an overabundance of omega-6s because of their diet. The animal products or anything that's pro-inflammatory, the, the oils, stuff like that. And then even taking an omega-3 supplement doesn't do them justice because the enzyme being used to convert it and to process it is already being used up by the excess omega-6. So a really good approach would be to sort of uh, limit your consumption of the omega-6 before introducing the omega-3, regardless of whether it's fish oil or nuts or seeds. If you're vegan, or it's irrelevant if you're vegan or not, but based on how you're going to go about it, it's sort of a nice balance. Limit the omega-6 and then you can start introducing the omega-3s. Yeah, okay. It's funny, before the podcast, I'm like, okay, Rudy, you got to calm down on the science, man. <laughs> My because, bad. <laughs> because people aren't going to understand you, man. And like you did, but as you were talking there, your eyes are like bulging and you're all lit up because now you're in your domain, man. <laughs> you're just firing away. But I think just for the sake of, under, it was very well put and I think very understandable. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll try and keep it to a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you write my show notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what about uh, B12? Um, yeah, so B12 is... Um, it's uh, uh, something that coats the earth. It's produced by bacteria. We find it in water and all over the planet. It's just because of the, the fluorination of our water and the way we produce our vegetables, our crops. It's kind of eliminated from what we eat. But the same goes for what you feed to the animals that people that aren't vegan eat. So the supplement I take is the same one they're giving to the animals, the livestock that they're raising. So people get it. People get the same type of B12, right? I'm getting the, the same source that people that eat animal products would. It's just if you ever go to a farm, they're generally, they inject it or they into the animal directly or they put it over their, uh, their grain and their food. So it's not um, uh, an issue that only vegans face. It's something that pretty much just the way we produce our food, uh, it causes this issue, this um, lack of B12. So, um, and it's recommended that people over the age of 50 supplement with it anyway, right? So uh, as long as you're taking a supplement, regardless of if you're vegan or not, we're all getting it from the same source. Yeah, so that as long as people understand that if they're practicing a vegan diet, that B12 has nothing to do with animal product. It's At just, all. it's a, a standalone vitamin by itself. Yeah, for, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, what about soy? You know, like don't bend, be, be gentle because you're talking to a soy boy over here. <laughs> I eat a lot of soy, man. So like, don't burst my bubble, dude. So like, tell me about that. All right. Um, so, I mean, I, I have no problem with soy whatsoever. I know it's gotten a pretty bad rap. 
Um, I, there's different types of, uh, I mean, the, the, the main issue with soy would be that people often um, refer to as the estrogen. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a big difference between phytoestrogens, the ones found in plants like soy, and mammalian estrogens like found that you find in milk. And to keep it as simple as I possibly can, um, it's been shown that the uh, phytoestrogens within soy actually have a uh, buffering effect, which means it kind of blocks certain receptors, estrogen receptors, so that the level of estrogen within the body kind of is blunted. And as we know, excess amounts of estrogen can lead to things like breast cancer in women, colorectal cancer, cancer, or other types of diseases. So if you do look at the research, um, estrogen, phytoestrogens from plants actually have a protective beneficial effect on human health, whereas mammalian estrogens from like milk and animal products don't necessarily have that. Yeah. Okay. Well said. So I can eat, keep eating my black soybeans <laughs> and my Definitely tofu. Definitely can. <laughs> and my tofu. Yeah. Okay. Um, now let's just move on to, uh, I'll get you off that subject now, Rudy, but excellent. Thank you for covering a lot of that stuff. That, that was really, uh, they were my own personal questions that I, I, again, I trust you and I really wanted to fire that away at you. And um, can you um, tell people where they can reach you? Uh, yeah, so I um, I train and work out of Prestige Gym on uh, Newman Boulevard, I believe it is, yeah, in yeah. La Salle. Uh, amazing gym. So uh, if uh, I'm one of the personal trainers over there. So if uh, anybody ever wants to contact me or, uh, you know, reach me, have a consult with me, okay. um, just uh, come, come see me at that gym. And I'm usually there uh, pretty much every day. Okay, and now uh, your social media handles, uh, Instagram? Yes, I, uh, I'm pretty much limited to Instagram, seeing as how I don't have Facebook. Um, my, my Instagram name's a little bit weird, but yeah, it's uh, R-U-D-E underscore B-O-I underscore nine one. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you, you'll get that fixed up. <laughs> that will be in the, the show notes as a link anyways. So, um, all right. One last question for you, Rudy, before we sign off here. Um, I, I like to ask people that, um, about their bliss, you know, following their bliss. And uh, where do you see yourself down, down the road? Imagine, you know, 30, 40 years from now, and, and where are you? What are you doing? How do you see your life being? What would be the most blissful for you? Um. I, I don't really have, I, I'd like to answer that question, let's say a little bit differently. I'd, I'd like to just enjoy my life and be generally happy. It doesn't really matter what my station is, uh, what I'm doing, but as long as I can help people make a difference and enjoy the process of doing so, that's what I, doesn't matter where I am, that's what I'd just like to be doing. Nice. Uh, okay, I said one question. Let me just ask you a second one. From the process that you went through with your mom and with your present philosophy of taking each day at a time, would you say that what you'd gone through had affected you to feel that way? Yes, uh, I I think that's an accurate statement. I mean, it affects everything I do in life, right? Because uh, when you go through a certain level of pain and suffering, you want to sort of, you you get more empathetic for those around you and you don't want to really see anybody else go through that. So I've kind of uh, shifted my perspective on life and my goals towards a more um, uh, wholesome, I I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, or helping those around me kind of uh, outlook on life. Yeah. If there's somebody out there is listening and they're dealing with a a loved one who is sick and maybe passing, and um, what advice could you give them? Ooh, that's a a sensitive topic, but um, I... 
I mean, just <laughs> just hang in there because you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have some dark days. But um, I mean, you just gotta learn to get through the storm, and eventually you reach a point where it's kind of I know it's cheesy, but there's the light at the end of the tum- tunnel, right? So you uh, you evolve, you grow, and take one day at a time, and eventually you'll get to a point where I mean, it's never gonna be the same, but I mean, it does get better. Not cheesy at all, Rudy. Not cheesy in the least bit because in that dark tunnel, man, the light's what keeps you going and, and that's what you did. And I, I'm blessed to be able to sit across the table from you and, and share your experience with people who I know are going to get a lot of value from you. So uh, I'm glad you followed the light in that tunnel and you emerged a great man, dude. So uh, thanks again for being here on Fork Podcast, Rudy. And uh, I want to wish everybody an awesome day and Rudy... You have an awesome day too, bud.